The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Washington, D.C., and Congress defying yesterday's violence, pushing forward with its duty and declaring Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. In a statement, President Trump pledging an orderly transition, but he is still facing widespread condemnation from global political and business leaders for inciting some of his followers to violently storm Capitol Hill. We are tracking the latest out of Washington and within the markets and of expert analysis to make sense of it all. It is Thursday, January 7th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. I'm Brian Sullivan, and thank you for joining us today on this difficult but new day for America, where at around 3.40 this morning, New York time, just under 90 minutes ago, Congress was able to complete its task And Joe Biden has been rightfully certified as the next president of the United States. All right, welcome, everybody. Let's get this now through all the incredible, terrible scenes yesterday. The stock market continued to make new highs, which may seem very difficult for some to understand on a number of different levels. But remember that markets primarily focus on what is likely going to happen in the future, not what is happening right now. And most of the investor commentary yesterday had a very, excuse me, common theme, that things will get better, at least economically, down the road. And right now, futures, they are higher once again. Dow futures up 108, NASDAQ futures up 66. Now, we are coming off new records for much of the market. The Dow up 400, the S&P with an intraday all-time high yesterday. NASDAQ did underperform a bit. Big technology names like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Alphabet all closing lower I'm concerned about greater regulatory risk with an all-Democrat-controlled Congress. Taking a look at the bond market, the 10-year yield back above 1%. Very good news for financial and bank stocks. They've been doing well lately. That is the highest level for that 10-year yield since early March. In the oil markets, we've seen oil continue to firm up since the Saudi surprise of two days ago, where they took an additional million barrels a day off the market beginning in February. Crude oil remains above 50 in fact, nearing 51 here in the United States. Let's also take a look at some of the precious metals. Obviously, they are viewed as a haven. Whenever there is chaos or uncertainty in the world, we tend to see gold and silver get bought as a reaction. And that's exactly what's happening. COMEX gold and silver are higher right now by about a half or three quarters of 1%. Let's now also take a look at the global market reaction. Stocks in Asia, mostly higher. The South Korean Kospi jumping more than 2%. The Nikkei up more than 1.5%. The Hong Kong Hang Seng dipping slightly in the final hour of trading. And in the early trade across the seas in Europe, you can see that we're kind of in a similar situation. We are not seeing an extreme or trigger-happy market reaction with the markets. We are seeing the German markets up one half of 1%. The UK down three-tenths of 1%. The markets there, like here, are looking forward and hopefully for better times with vaccines on the way. All right, now low to the latest out of Washington. And just over 
one hour ago, Vice President Mike Pence declaring Congress has confirmed the Electoral College's results, confirming Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. All this as President Trump faces that condemnation from leaders both politically, abroad, and from business leaders here in the United States after inciting some of his followers who carried out that violent and deadly siege of Capitol Hill to try to stop the certification process. Elon Moy joining us now from Washington, where it is hard to believe a new day. Elon, although in some ways it seems like a continuation because Congress worked through the night and less than 90 minutes ago were under extreme and terrible circumstances earlier in the day yesterday, able to complete their appointed duty. Well, that's right, Brian. The count is now complete. Congress has fulfilled its constitutional duty and finished counting those Electoral College votes that show that Joe Biden won the presidential election. Now, after that was over, the White House did issue a statement from President Trump committing to an orderly transition of power on January 20th and conceding that this is the end of his first term in office, but one that continued to cling to the false allegations of fraud. But after yesterday's chaos, destruction and sadly even death in and around Capitol Hill, lawmakers were determined to finish the job, reconvene and continue counting those votes last night and into the wee hours of this morning. As Democratic Senator Joe Manchin put it, these thugs will not run us off. Now, presiding from the dais, Vice President Mike Pence did briefly address what many have called an insurrection. To those who wreaked havoc in our capital today, you did not win. Violence never wins. Freedom wins. And this is still the people's house. Now, those are some of the strongest words that we have heard in public from the Trump administration. President Trump did tape a video message to his supporters yesterday telling them to go home in peace, but also repeating some of the false claims that have stoked the unrest that we saw play out in the streets of Washington yesterday. And since then, Twitter and Facebook have locked his account. The political chaos, meanwhile, is ongoing. Two of the first ladies, senior aides, have resigned. More than 100 Democrats have called for the president's removal from office in his final days, whether that is through impeachment, invoking the 25th Amendment, or some other means. And even within the White House, NBC News reports that there have been informal staff-level discussions about the 25th Amendment. But as of last night, those discussions and that proposal had not been brought up with the vice president. Who would need to agree to that along with a majority of the cabinet? So, Brian, it is unclear what the day will bring, but the curfew in D.C. does lift in another hour. Back to you. And is the curfew set for tonight as well, Alon, or is it just sort of a day-by-day? It was on from last night until this morning, and as of now, it will be off. What is, what is the lockdown situation in D.C. around the Capitol like today? I think they're still assessing the situation. And one of the big questions that uh, both residents of the city as well as lawmakers have is why there was not a stronger police presence to begin with um, around the Capitol, why the perimeter was not uh, more secure and how these protesters were able to storm the Capitol. There's a lot of questions remaining 
for the Capitol Police, as well as around the National Guard. The Pentagon had said that D.C. had requested about 300 National Guard officers heading into the protests yesterday. Uh, but clearly more were needed. About 1,100 National Guard troops were eventually deployed or activated. Uh, so questions around security uh, of lawmakers as they continue uh, to be in session and look forward to January 20th and the events on that day as well. Uh, the security of our lawmakers uh, is going to be of utmost importance, and there's going to be a lot of questions around uh, what should be done in the future and what didn't happen in the past. Yeah, we're going to, it's going to be a lot of ex post facto analysis, certainly on the security situation around Congress. Although, you know, as we know, the National Mall is, I believe, if it's not a state park, it certainly is a is a public place. So there are some difficulties there, I would imagine, with crowd control when it comes to those types of areas. But, Ilan, we look, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it was a long night for you and I. I, this, I. I would say good morning, but it's actually good evening because who could sleep last night? So you'll forgive me. Um, but we look at Congress. Is Congress now effectively uh, finished until the inauguration? Or is there anything formal left on Capitol Hill? Will they be in session again between now and 13 days from now? There doesn't seem to be anything else formal that needs to happen for uh, Joe Biden now to be officially declared president. The inauguration day just needs to come. And what we are being told is that day is going to look very different from the way it has in the past, even before uh, the unrest that we saw yesterday because of the pandemic that we were in. Uh, it looked like we were going to have a scaled back inauguration, some parts being done virtually. Obviously, the balls that used to be a hot ticket in Washington, those will no longer be taking place. Yeah. Uh, so already it was looking at uh, a very different inauguration than we had seen before. We'll see whether the uh, violence and the security demands uh, that might need to be in place after yesterday change those plans even further. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you, Alon, what, what do we know, if anything? About, I know they've said that there's going to be, it's going to be largely virtual. Uh, he will get the, the escorted motorcade uh, to the White House. Uh, what do we know about the inauguration? I mean, right now, with 13 days to go, it does seem, you know, especially with the pandemic raging, it peaks in many certain levels, that there would be anything in person at all. What do we know? Well, we don't know a whole lot, Brian, and those plans appear to be changing on a daily basis, and they could change again after yesterday as well. Uh, so we will continue to be in touch with the administration, the incoming administration, and, and let you know what we find out. But uh, clearly, uh, the security does need to be ramped up. Clearly, uh, the incoming president has said that he wants to ensure that not just the physical demonstrations and violence we saw yesterday comes to an end, but that the rhetoric, the divisive rhetoric that led to mm -hmm. some of that unrest, uh, that also was a way to help heal the country. Elon Moy in Washington, D.C. Elon, thank you very much. Good morning. All right, let's get more now on the market and investment insight into all of what we saw yesterday. We're joined now by Keith Lerner. He is chief market strategist at Truist and uh, Keith, thank you very much for joining us on this new day, a very difficult day, obviously, in America yesterday that continues today. But Congress was able to get its duty done. And I'm not going to put words into your mouth, certainly, but probably like you, I was getting a lot of commentary, text, phone calls saying, how in the world can the stock market move higher when we are watching armed, 
protesters, rioters, insurrectionists in many ways, storm our nation's capital and our congressmen and women having to shelter in place and take cover. And the answer, as hard and crass as it may be, is multiple fold. I'm going to show you something I put up and tell me what you think. The idea is this. Investors, they're going to look forward, not backward, and they see better times ahead. The pandemic will end with vaccines and herd immunity. The economy and earnings, they are on the mend after a terrible 2020. Fiscal and monetary policy, it remains extremely accommodative. And now with the Democratic sweep, a larger stimulus certainly is likely. Is there anything on that or those words, keys that you would disagree with, with how we can square record market highs with armed riots on Capitol Hill? Well, first, uh, good morning, Brian. Uh, great to be with you again. I do agree with that general sense. I mean, this is a serious situation, but from a market standpoint, you have to ask yourself, what changes? Is Fed policy going to change? No. Is the fiscal stimulus going to change? Are we going to get checks in the mail to consumers in the near term? Yes. Are the profits moving higher? The answer is yes. Uh, and then you also think, you know, what's the relative opportunity in the market side as well? And the big picture, too, from an economic standpoint is we're still in the early stages of an economic expansion. Economic expansions typically last about five years. We think this could even be longer. And we're only probably about six months into it. So, you know, even though it's, it's, it's hard to look at, it does make sense from, from a purely a market perspective that it, it will look forward. Yeah, and the one theme from the markets yesterday, and again, we was, you know, you're watching everything unfold in real time and just wondering how in the world this could happen in the United States. At the same time, on CNBC, you can see that equities were moving higher, particularly the small caps, the Russell 2000 at one point was up more than 5%. It ended up a little bit less than that. You think this is the domestic reflation trade. If we need a reason to be optimistic about the nation this morning, it's that we can look forward and say that the market anyway is indicating that the domestic American economy, small, mid-sized companies, that they have a much brighter future 12 months from now. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. We actually upgraded U.S. small caps back in November, and it's had a big run, but we, we're still very bullish on small caps. And we've been telling our clients, we think small caps is a better way to play the reflation trade relative to large value, relative to international. And we're seeing that borne out since we upgraded it. It's doubled the performance of even large cap value. And what's interesting is even after this run, even after that big breakout yesterday, because earnings are moving up at such a rapid clip, the relative valuations for small caps are still the lowest uh, relative to, to large caps since, since 2000. We have good earning trends, and now the price trends are moving higher, too. And what's also interesting, Brian, even though we've had this big run recently, we're only up about 10% from the uh, 2018 highs for small caps. So we would use any pullbacks to, to add to small caps, and we would stay long mm. that area of the market because we think it's a com- compelling relative opportunity. You would, yeah, because I think the numbers are, I looked at them yesterday morning, 31% gain for the S&P small cap 600 in the last 90 days. So great call by you and your team there. Very quickly, Keith, the thing I did not throw on that graphic was infrastructure. We've been waiting for really four or five years for anything. Are you and your team in any way investing around the idea of a, of a large or any kind of infrastructure package and the equities that would be attached to it? 
Yeah, Brian, I think we're all, we're, we're all the last couple of years, um, infrastructure comes up every year, and almost every year we get disappointed. We do think this is the year or in the next year or two that there is a good case to be made that we will see some spending. And based on that, we think that the industrial sector and the materials sector should benefit not only from a, from a weak dollar that we've seen over the last year, but this kind of global reflation trade. Those are our, our, two of our favorite areas that would also benefit from infrastructure as well. Keith Lerner, Truist Securities. Keith, thank you very much for joining us on this very difficult morning for a lot of America. Appreciate it, Keith. Best to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right. All right. When we come back, much more of our continuing coverage from Washington, D.C. Steve Sedgwick will join us from the U.K. with reaction from business and political leaders around the world to what happened in Washington yesterday. And the growing list of business leaders condemning President Trump on what took place in D.C. as well. Very busy hour still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Dow futures are actually up more than 100. We're back after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange on this Thursday morning. Let's get a look at futures. They are, like the markets yesterday, they are in the green. Dow futures up 120 points right now, as we just noted earlier. And if you're just joining us, the markets are looking forward to better days ahead. They're looking for the end of the pandemic, the vaccine rollout. They're looking for earnings and the economy to improve. They're looking for monetary and fiscal policy to remain accommodative. They're looking perhaps for a larger fiscal stimulus package, $2,000 checks per American family, perhaps also at an infrastructure package. Those are the reasons, and there are many of them, that we are seeing equities move higher despite the terrible scenes that we had in Washington yesterday. Let's take a look at some of the Dow's biggest gainers on the day. Walgreens, Boots Alliance, J.P. Morgan Chase, and American Express. Remember, as interest rates move higher, and they did, the 10-year above 1%, financials and bank stocks should benefit. That explains why J.P.M. and Amex were higher as well. Apple and McDonald's, also some of the gainers. In some of the S&P 500 companies included Tesla. A lot of talk about renewable energy now under a Democratic-controlled White House and Congress. Not just Tesla's well. Look at wind, solar, not perhaps a Green New Deal. Many believe that that is not likely to happen given the narrowness of the margin in both the Senate and the House. But you have to look at still names like a next era energy, a first solar, anything on the renewable side, which has already been red hot the last nine or 12 months or so, may continue to be so. Well, it is not just political leaders calling out President Trump and condemning the D.C. riots. Corporate America and CEOs also speaking out in force. Blackstone CEO Stephen Schwarzman, a top Republican donor and longtime Trump ally, saying that he is shocked and horrified, while also noting outcome the election is, quote, very clear and there must be a peaceful transition of power. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon saying this is not who we are as a country. Dimon did not call out the president by name, but he urged elected leaders to call for an end to the violence. Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon calling the riots unacceptable, adding that Americans need to begin reinvesting in democracy. Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff also calling for peace and unity. And the head of the National Association of Manufacturers putting out a statement condemning President Trump and other elected leaders who have supported him as well. For his part, Bill Ackman, CEO of Pershing Square, tweeting directly to the president, calling on him to resign, saying, quote, it is time for you to resign and apologize 
to all Americans. It wasn't just them. Apple CEO Tim Cook tweeted that this was a, quote, sad and shameful chapter in our nation's history and urged that the presidential transition be completed. Sundar Pichai, CEO of Google parent company Alphabet, saying the lawlessness and violence occurring on Capitol Hill today is the antithesis of democracy, and we strongly condemn it. Facebook also putting out a statement before locking President Trump's account, calling it, the violent protests in the Capitol today are a disgrace. We prohibit incitement and calls for violence on our platform. Twitter also locking President Trump's account. All right, just some of the myriad of comments from corporate America coming out condemning what they saw in Washington yesterday. Turning now overseas, many of the United States' longstanding allies and other world business and political leaders expressing shock and outrage over the violent scenes that erupted in Washington yesterday. Let's go now to our colleague Stephen Sedgwick in London for much more. And Stephen, I was on uh, with Jumana and Juliana and at the 4.30 a.m. Eastern Time Hour, and I remarked that uh, the history here is, is truly tragic. It was the first time that an armed group of individuals had broke into the Capitol since the War of 1812 in 1814, a terrible and truly remarkable statistic and just how powerful and awful yesterday was for the country. Yeah, Brian, Brian, why don't I pick up that baton and talk about history, recent history and longer-term history as well, because I think that is a very important lead-in to the reactions we've seen around the globe and from these big three that I'm standing next to now. So let's just go through it. Of course, we know the recent history uh, between the US and indeed between the United Kingdom has been pretty close. Boris Johnson uh, is seen as a bit of a, a man who's shaking up Westminster. Well, of course, Mr Trump uh, was seen to come in to drain the swamp. So they're very, very close. They're both seen as populists as well. So perhaps one of the most tempered reactions has come from Boris Johnson, who said it is vital there should be a peaceful and orderly transfer of power. Talking about the disgraceful scenes as well, saying the US stands for democracy around the world. But no overt criticism, I didn't see anyway, uh, of Mr Trump himself from Boris Johnson. And of course, the relationship uh, between President-elect Biden and indeed Mr Johnson, that's going to be very tricky as well, because of course we know that already there has been an implicit crossing of swords over the Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland border. Ancient history as well. Let's go back a bit as well because we know US independence and the French Revolution happened within 16 years of each other. So more scathing remarks coming out from Emmanuel Macron. He said, what happened in DC is not American. Definitely. We believe in the strength of our democracies. We believe in the strength of the American democracies. Uh, and very interesting comments coming out of Germany from Angela Merkel, of course, who we know has had a very difficult relationship over energy, over Russia, over a whole host of issues, Brian, uh, with the United States, saying very angry and sad. But I will, if I may, just go and say what her foreign minister said today, Heiko Maas, because he said from inflammatory words come violent actions on the steps of the Reichstag and now in the capital. And you talked about history. That is a direct reference, we understand, to the events that happened in 1933. And the parallels are there for all our viewers, uh, according to Heiko Maas. Yeah, and the ideal being that the United States version of democracy had been a model for the French, of course. We're not going to go into some long-standing political history. Uh, but certainly what we do now is going to be watched by the world. We saw these awful scenes yesterday, Steve, but we go forward. I mean, we wake up and we move on throughout history. That's exactly what happens, no matter what it might be. And this is a critical time in history because the world is dealing with a common enemy, 
a microscopic, invisible to the naked eye virus that is infecting the entire world's economy and millions and millions of people. You in the UK, of course, are on basically a full lockdown. Germany tightening their restrictions as well. The world is not only dealing with the pandemic, but how to deal with a post-pandemic world. At the same time, we still have geopolitical concerns. We've got a rising and ascending China as well. We've got some saber rattling by Iran, as you know, covering the oil markets too. So this is a time where, despite those scenes, the global leaders, at least from a, from a pandemic perspective, have got to come together. It is a critical time for the globe. Brian, I'll come back to more recent history. 2009, I was here at London for the G20, and of course you'll remember Pittsburgh the same year as well. There was a global coming together to sort out a crisis, to throw billions of dollars at the situations. Well, there has been no global coordination in this crisis led by the United States. That's not all the U.S.'s fault, but the U.S. has to take its fair share of the responsibility. It is not just pandemic response. It is about the transatlantic alliance. It is about the future of these democratic institutions, supranational, such as NATO. Jens Stoltenberg's been talking as well. You talked about enemies of the West and potentially long-term adversaries as well on the geopolitical front as well. Well, dare I say it, Mr. Rouhani, who is the president of Iran, and you mentioned Iran there, has saying, well, this shows the failure of Western democracy. It talks about the fragility of Western democracy. And so, of course, it's a message potentially to the enemies of the West and the enemies of the United States and Europe as well. Uh, I, I would correct the Iranian leader. Protesting yesterday was not protesting. That was riding largely Protesting is the hallmark of democracy, the ability to speak your mind, but it does not mean you can storm the nation's capital with guns and threaten people's lives. And indeed, a woman did lose her life, certainly as well. But where we go now will be what is watched, certainly by the world as well. And we do remember Pittsburgh and we do remember the G20 as well. Stephen Sedgwick with a great look there at the global market reaction. Steve, thank you very much. All right, still on deck. We're going to get a check of the morning's other top stories, and there are those, including Bitcoin. It continues its run, climbing to new heights. 37,000 was surpassed, breaking all records. It now has a $1 trillion valuation. Dow futures up 100. We are back right after this. Breaking news, Congress convening into the early morning hours to confirm Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. Representatives and senators voting to reject the challenges to the electors. This all coming just hours after pro-Tump rioters invaded the nation's Capitol building. It is Thursday, January 7th. This is our breaking news coverage right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Thursday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us here on CNBC. Well, through all the incredible and terrible scenes yesterday, the stock market continued to make new highs, which I know on many levels seems difficult to understand. But remember that markets and economies primarily focus on what is likely going to happen in the future, not what is happening right before our eyes. And most of the investor commentary yesterday that came out last night had a very common theme, that things will get better, at least economically in many ways, down the road. And we are seeing that reflected in stock futures right now. Markets at new records yesterday, Dow futures up 90 points right now. The S&P hitting a new intraday all-time high as well. One group that did not do as well yesterday was big technology. 
Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Alphabet, they all closed down. Again, markets looking forward, and what they see is concern about perhaps greater regulatory risk in an all-democratic Congress, as well as regulatory risk in the European Union as well. We did see bonds and yields move higher. A 10-year yield holding above 1%, that is its highest level since March. That would be good news to big banks and financials. Why names like Goldman Sachs, American Express, J.P. Morgan did well yesterday. Watch the small and regional banks, too, if interest rates, against seemingly all odds, do on the bond market continue to move higher, we could see financials continue to outperform. Oil also moving higher as well. Again, we're looking forward, not at what we saw yesterday. And what we see is a million extra barrels a day coming off the market, courtesy of Saudi Arabia's surprise at the last OPEC meeting, as well as the idea that, yes, the vaccines, while maybe frustrating and the slowness of the rollout, are coming. The American economy looks brighter down the road, and we will be taking to the road and the air a lot more in the spring, summer, and fall. Oil prices are higher again. And when we do get nervous, when things happen, we tend to take safe havens in equity markets. And that has occurred not only in precious metals with gold and silver, but also to Bitcoin. Bitcoin, an inflation hedge, a hedge against a weaker dollar, a hedge in many people's ways against uh, unrest and Bitcoin hitting $37,000. And with that move higher, Bitcoin's valuation is now more than $1 trillion, not including all the other cryptos that are out there as well. All right. A lot of things happening in the markets. But let's now get back to your top story and Washington, D.C., where there might actually be some senators and congresspeople still on Capitol Hill because they only certified the election a little under two hours ago, about 3.40 Eastern time this morning. The question now is what now? Elon Moy back with us with the very latest and the road ahead. Elon. Well, Brian, President Trump has now publicly committed to an orderly transition of power on January 20th when Joe Biden will be sworn in as the next president of the United States. Now, the White House issued a statement early this morning after Congress completed counting those electoral college votes that showed that Biden won the election. Trump conceded that this is the end of his term in office, but he also clung to false allegations of fraud. Now, after yesterday's chaos and destruction and even death in Washington, lawmakers were determined to finish the job to reconvene and finish counting those votes. Last night, Vice President Mike Pence, presiding from the dais, said that violence never wins, freedom wins, while Democrats called for an end to the division. Enough, my beloved colleagues. It is time for America to heal. It is time for our families and communities to come together. Let us stop pouring salt in the wounds of America for no reason at all. Let us start healing our beloved land and our wonderful people. Now, President Trump had taped a video message to his supporters yesterday telling them to go home in peace. But that message also included the false claims that helped stoke the unrest that we saw play out in the streets of Washington yesterday. And since then, 
Both Twitter and Facebook have locked the president's accounts. Now, the political chaos is ongoing. Two of the First Lady's senior aides have resigned, and more than 100 Democrats from both chambers are now calling on the president to be removed from office in his final days, whether that is through impeachment, invoking the 25th Amendment, or through some other unspecified means. Inside the White House, NBC News is reporting that there have been informal staff-level discussions about the 25th Amendment, but that as of last night, those conversations had not been brought up with Vice President Mike Pence, who would need to agree to that along with the majority of the cabinet. So, Brian, what we know now is that D.C. remains under curfew for about another half hour. The D.C. mayor has extended the public emergency for the next two weeks or so. As far as we know, the streets have been quiet, but, Brian, we will see what today brings. Back to you. Yes, certainly, Alon. Listen, and again, we talk about this idea of looking forward, and we have to because today, tomorrow, they they will come. The sun will rise. But there is a big political agenda. The Democrats are now officially in control of both the White House and the chambers of Congress. Of course, we have the inauguration on the 20th. I have a question about that as well. But from a macro agenda perspective, we're talking about bigger fiscal stimulus, the possibility of a Green New Deal, the possibility of tax increases on personal and corporate side, perhaps infrastructure. What does all of this mean for that political agenda moving forward? Well, what we saw before the protests erupted in Washington yesterday was Democrats starting to map out what that agenda would look like. Uh, Chuck Schumer, who will be majority leader of the Senate, said that sending out the $2,000 checks would be a top priority. That's what they ran on in Georgia. It was their closing message and one of the reasons that they believe that they won. Uh, we're also hearing from Democrats yesterday, uh, like uh, Senator Ron Wyden, who will be chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, saying that he wants to ensure that his proposal to extend unemployment benefits and provide that $600 a week boost uh, to jobless workers, that that is included in another package as well. So you started to see uh, the different factions of the Democratic Party lay out their request for what another aid package should look like, and then what should be addressed after that, whether it's climate change or infrastructure, as you mentioned. But clearly, dealing with the pandemic will be job number one. Yeah, and very quickly, uh, I know I asked you earlier, Alon, do we, do we have any further details about the inauguration? Will there be crowds in any form with mass or socially distance? Will there be any crowds converging on Washington, D.C. on January 20th? I don't have an answer for you yet, Brian. What we do know is that there should be some public portion of the inauguration. We just don't know how public it will be, how many members of the public will be there. Uh, but certainly it's something that is evolving, and I'm sure the planning will continue throughout the day today. All right, Ilan Moy, thank you very much, Ilan. See you soon. All right, for more on all this, let's bring in now two of our guests, Jimmy Pethokoukis, economic policy analyst at the American Enterprise Institute, and Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO of KKM Financial. Of course, they are both CNBC contributors. Jimmy, I'm going to start with you. You live right there. You could probably walk to where many of these scenes occurred yesterday. Obviously, a dark, a difficult, a terrible day in so many ways for the United States of America. Today, we begin to pick up the pieces. What should be job one for Congress right now? Right. Well, uh, I, th I think job one uh, for Congress is one, uh, toned, toned down the rhetoric. Uh, talk a lot about the peaceful transition of power. Talk a lot about how Joe Biden's our legitimate president. 
and then uh, get to work in this next term and doing the things America needs. Listen, we had a very bad period in this country from the late 1960s to the early 1980s. Uh, multiple recessions, stagflation, civil unrest. The market went nowhere on an inflation-adjusted basis. The market was down by quite a bit. And then we had an economic boom in this country starting in 1983. And it didn't take long, really three, four years. Americans felt different about this country. The world felt different about America. I hope that's what we have coming up now, is that we have a post-pandemic rebound and then a longer economic boom. I know Goldman Sachs has just raised their forecast for next year at over 6%. Uh, we could use a lot more of those kinds of years going forward. If there's a roaring 20s here, uh, I think that helps really solve a lot yeah. of problems. And I want to follow up with, it with you again, Jimmy, before we go to Jeff here, because, again, not, not to be a Pollyanna about it, but to your point, if you do study history, as I know you do, we can look back and see many, many times in this nation's history where we have seemed like we're on the breaking point only to rally through it. You know, and people fear, and this is an economic question as well, Oh, we now have single party rule, House, Senate, White House. And I know it seems hard to believe, but there's only been I went through the numbers last night, I believe 20 times in American out of 117 Congresses where we have had split houses. Single party rule is actually the norm. I know the last 20 years we've had this back and forth. But through American history, the 30s, the 60s, the 1850s, whatever it may be, it was single party rule. So we know how to do this. And maybe just maybe the narrowest majority in Congress in 100 years, which is what we have, will come together. Do you have any optimism about that? You know, I, you know, I, I kind of do. Uh, my bias, my bias, my self-admitted bias is toward optimism. Uh, but the median senators are going to be people like Joe Manchin and, and Mark Kelly, uh, the, Arizona, you know, the two Arizona senators. So, I mean, I think that provides, I think, a glimmer of hope that I think actual real things can happen. I think and I think there's an understanding that we need things to happen, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's, you know, more science investment. And I hope that's the lesson people have have learned from the from yesterday and the, and, and, and the past month that we have big problems. We don't come together. Yeah. They're not going to get solved. And they're certainly not going to get solved if we don't trust each other and if we hate each other. Yeah, what did Benjamin Franklin, I believe it was Franklin, so we can all hang together or we may all certainly hang separately. Jeff Kilberg, uh, from a markets perspective, I know it seems crass. Uh, we're watching these terrible scenes unfold, and yet markets are going higher. And we kind of walk through some of the ideals about that. Why? Because, correct, markets look ahead, and they're looking at, Better days. The pandemic will end. Vaccines on the way. The economy will improve. There are reasons for the market to be optimistic, and that's what's reflected in the price action. Uh, you're right, Sully. And the stock market is a forward pricing mechanism. And despite the disgraceful chaos that we had to witness yesterday out of D.C., the market was able to hurdle that. It was really representative in the VIX. The VIX never got above 25. So the fear factor, the fear gauge that we'd like to look at, didn't really resonate or spill into the stock market. And yes, you're right. We saw a lot of buyers and hope and optimism that this infrastructure, that additional stimulus, that this 
engine, additional engine in the oil for the Democrats moving forward is going to allow a lot more spending, a lot more infrastructure. And that was the real message. So I think the stock market, despite the chaos, the stock market really looked forward to what we are foreseeing. And look at clean energy. We look at the ETF PBW. Had a sensational year in 2020. It was up yet again yesterday. We talked about infrastructure plays. Look at Cleveland Cliffs. Some of these names that really hadn't seen a lot of love in the last couple of years really moved higher. And I think that's representative of what the future looks like. And that's the takeaway. The stock market isn't overlooking, isn't diminishing the disgraceful chaos that transpired. What it's looking forward to is what we can do as a country moving forward. And that's really exciting, Sully, as an investor. Yeah, you know, and, and if you need a reason to feel good, too, about it, is that the, the Russell 2000, which, you know, small cap stocks that have basically 0% of their revenues done internationally, that is a domestic play, Jeff, right? Those are companies that are based in America, that mostly build their or sell their stuff in America to Americans. And that index went up nearly 5% at one point yesterday, closed just beneath that. The market is suggesting that the domestic reflation trade, the economy, whether it's that roaring 20s, which hopefully we'll have a better end, Jimmy, this time, that that's going to happen, you know, in 9, 12 months and in 2022. Correct, Jeff? Well, the rotation is real. I think you bring up a great point talking about the small caps. Sensational day yesterday, up nearly 5%. But let's be mindful. Ever since we saw the pandemic hit in the month of March, a lot of those smaller cap stocks got thrown away for the wrong reasons. So now that we have a light at the end of the tunnel, now that the vaccine is slowly being distributed, I think those small caps names have a reason to be owned. But I think the rotation or the diminished exposure out of technology into small caps, into some of the laggers, into some of the blue chip industrial names. I think that's more the overarching theme because the small caps, they have lagged the S&P 500, they have lagged the Dow Jones, they've lagged the NASDAQ 100 for the last three years, ever since 2016. So I think it's a stock picker's market. You have to be mindful and understand exactly where your exposure is moving forward. But you're absolutely right. There's a lot of value out there in some of those small cap stocks. Yeah, and Jimmy, just to wrap it up with you and, and sort of put a, a cherry on your first point there, which is that we did see, we've seen business leaders, by the way, from Jamie Dimon to Tim Cook to Sundar Pichai come out and, and condemn either what they saw, they condemn President Trump, uh, Bill Ackman for that, saying that Trump should simply resign, so it's rattling that off on Twitter as well. Many in Congress doing the same. They just wrapped up. Many may still actually be on Capitol Hill, 344 a.m., is when that gavel came down on the proceedings to certify the election. What should be Congress's job one? If you are uh, Nancy Pelosi or you are Chuck Schumer, the new majority leader, by the way, what's the first thing on your docket? Uh, the first thing in, in, in this new term, and I'm, I'm, I don't think much is going to happen uh, between now and the end of the year. I don't think we're going to, I don't think, based on what I saw last night, I don't think we're going to get an impeachment and removal of the president. Uh, the president put out a statement saying that he accepts peaceful transition of power. I think that's the tamp down on that kind of talk. And going forward, I would look very carefully if I, if I was Congress at what do we need going forward to boost economic growth and productivity beyond this pandemic? And I think that things like infrastructure, and as and I said earlier, a lot more science investment to create the economy of the future that's going to create those good jobs and faster growth that we need, which I talked about earlier. I would like to see Congress move on that. Yeah, and if we get the AstraZeneca and J&J vaccines, we could see the pace of vaccinations improve, which would ease lockdowns, reduce frustration, reduce economic uh, pain for so many millions of families. Jimmy Pethokoukas, Jeff yep. Kilberg, guys, 
Thank you very much for joining us on this new, difficult, but new day in the United States. All right, coming up, much more on the violence in Washington and the market reaction or lack thereof as well. And what is the road and path forward? We are seeing Dow futures up 79. You're watching Worldwide Exchange, and we're back right after this. Oh, welcome back. Well, hard as it may be to believe, given the terrible scenes from D.C. yesterday, stocks continue to move higher and futures, they are up again. Dow futures up 55. Now, many of you, especially if you are newer to the markets or investors, may be wondering why or even how stocks can go up given everything we witnessed yesterday. It is because of this. The markets look forward and the markets collectively see better days ahead for the economy and for American business. And it's not just that. Here are some of the reasons that stocks are going up. Number one, we are looking forward. The pandemic will end. The vaccines are on the way, as frustrating as it may be. Also, the economy and earnings are on the mend, especially in the second half of the year into 2022. Fiscal policy, monetary policy, especially with this new incoming Congress controlled by the Democrats, is believed to remain accommodative and also a larger stimulus is likely perhaps Another $500, $600 billion round, more checks directly to impacted American families. Let's bring in now Joe Fami. He is managing director at Zor Capital. He has been for years now long and correct on these markets through everything. Although, Joe, certainly we didn't see anything like what we see yesterday. We've never seen that. And let's hope that we never see it again. But to my point, it is hard for people to believe. But the markets are thinking a year out. Are you as optimistic? Yeah, I, I am optimistic and I'm bullish on the markets uh, for 2021 for two main reasons, the strong technicals and the Fed. I think you have to go back to last year. And if you ask most investors what are the biggest lessons they learned from last year, you'll hear two common themes. Uh, don't fight the Fed. And I should have listened more to the price action of the market and less to the doom and gloom that's out there in the world. And I think that's important because that's going to also apply this year. As I said, uh, the Fed is still a factor this year. And yesterday's a perfect example of the resiliency and the, the strong technicals of the market where there's this unfortunate event last uh, yesterday. And you see the Russell 2000 at new highs, NYC Composite, Dow, all the major indices are at new highs. And that just uh, really speaks to the message of the markets. And I just want to remind investors, if you had, if you made that mistake last year, uh, not to make that again this year because the technicals are still strong and the Fed is providing us with that strong backdrop of low interest rates and a lot of liquidity. Yeah, and, and we had that we had that terrible ADP private sector jobs number yesterday. Expected a gain. We saw a big drop. Goldman Sachs out with a note, 1030 last night. Joe, Democrats are likely to pass further fiscal stimulus in Q1. And we expect to total about $750 billion, including $300 billion in new stimulus checks. So we can you can agree or fight on the exact number. But Goldman's on the record saying we think bigger checks, more money is coming that will trickle into the markets and the economy. Yeah, I I think that um, one of the main factors people need to remember is that the big institutions control the market. So it's important to pay attention to what they're doing and they continue to buy stocks and they continue to accumulate shares. There's sector rotation in the market, which is a bullish sign of a good market. And to your point, the market is a discounting mechanism. Too many people try to make sense of the immediate news of the day and what's and correlated to the market. But the market 
uh, trades on what's going to happen six to nine months from now. And it is telling us there will be a recovery in the economy. And to your point about a uh, larger uh, stimulus that will be bullish yeah. overall for the uh, for the economy. All right. Joe, you've been correct, and let's hope you are now as well. Joe Fahmy, we appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much, buddy. Thank you. Optimistic on the equities and optimistic perhaps on America itself. And, and that is a reason, folks, that we are seeing stocks and futures move higher. We are looking forward and seeing better days from the virus, from the economy, the corporate earnings, for hopefully all of America, whatever side of the political aisle you may be on. I wish you the best. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.